Hi, and welcome to the Toncast. I'm your host, Michael Sykes. I'm a comedian from Newcastle, Australia. And here today is my very special guest, Todd Anderson. Hey, thanks for Is that how you prefer to be show, named? Michael. Uh, I'm- That's okay. It was really important to get you on, so I'm glad we could make this work. <laughs> That's it. Well, I am an important guest. A lot of podcasts want to have me on because I guess I'm really interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a humble person, very modest. I don't know why so many people would want me to guest on their podcast, but here we are. I'm happy to do it. Very excited to be on yours. You're you're located in, in Australia? That's right. Uh, it's uh, currently the opposite season here. So we're enjoying a chilly winter. How cold is it? Um, I'll have a look exactly. It is currently... Actually, I'll have to convert it for you, won't I? It's 10 degrees Celsius. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. That's, yeah, I'll put the work that's in. That's cold. Ten. That's cold. It is 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's not super cold, but it's cold. When it gets that it's certainly that cold in LA, we feel like it's we're freezing to death. Yes, it's certainly cold for here as well. I have been to LA. Uh, when were you in LA? I was in LA three years ago, <clears throat> um, in April. So pretty dry. Yeah, it is pretty dry. But I, I mean, spring's not so bad. I, I for me, the, the in LA, the late fall and winter are my favorite parts. But spring's pretty good. But this time of year, I don't care for it. <laughs> it's, too, it's too damn hot. I don't like it. Yeah, I actually had to um, regularly stock up on moisturizer or. My lips would chap, my face would go dry just being outside in the air there. It's very arid. Oh, yeah, totally. I had to, I grew up on, uh, on the East Coast of the U.S. Uh, in New England and Massachusetts, where I grew up with, you know, all the four seasons, uh, and, uh, and, and the winters were, were freezing cold, um, but it was very moist. You know, everybody in New England has a basement, and the reason why you have a basement is so it could collect the moisture and doesn't rot your house out. You don't need those in LA, but it took me forever to get used to it. Like the winters here too are so dry. I, I, I was never the type of person to uh, moisturize, but, but I find myself doing it now because I get too damn itchy in the winter. It is very dry here. Yeah, the, uh, the planet makes fools of us all. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. <laughs> so you do, uh, you do uh, stand-up. Uh, yes, I do. I do. Although most of my comedy energy is directed towards Twitter at the moment. Uh, where do you do? Do you do stand up in your area or do you go around the country? What's your uh, what do you do? Uh, yeah, mostly locally. I've been a part of organizing some comedy rooms, doing some emceeing and stuff, but uh, nothing aspirational. I've put on a couple of full length shows of my own. Um, which I would say went well for how uh, unambitious they were. <laughs> what, what, what were they that they were unambitious? 
Well, uh, the first one I did, I'm a, I'm a classic procrastinator. So we, um, we had a fringe festival happening in my city, Newcastle. And I signed up even though I didn't have a show written because I knew the only way to get something done in life would be to self-sabotage in that way. So I was forced to put something together and uh, it ended up going considerably well, I think. Oh, that's awesome. I, uh, I, I've gotten old and, and lost my, uh, my <laughs> wanting to run out and, and do theater and stuff like that. It's been a while. I mostly just do video stuff. I think it's just can get a little depressing, you know, investing your time into art, knowing that there's really not money in it most of the time. And as long as uh, we have conservative people in power, there's going to be less and less money in the arts. Yeah, that's I, I totally agree with you there. And I agree with you that it is really frustrating. I mean, for for me, I mean, I did so much when I I mean, back in New York, uh, when I was in college, and then when I first moved to LA for a number of years, I mean, really into the new century, basically up until my son was born, I was doing uh, theater all the time, putting together shows, late night comedy shows, and plays, and you know, everything. I always wanted to be, but as soon as my son was born, it became, well, if I do keep doing this theater that doesn't pay me any money, I'm never going to see my kid because he's going to be in school all day. I'm going to be at the theater all night. So I, I, I shifted to try and do video projects and, and stuff like that to keep myself busy when I'm not getting paid. Yeah, I understand that mandate. You, um, I guess that's why I'm resilient to the idea of having a kid, just that idea that I'm not just responsible for myself. Because when I'm just responsible for myself, I can fuck up as much as I want. Yeah. <laughs> but when someone else is, is under my care, then I really have to get my shit together and I... I don't know. I don't see that happening just yet. Yeah. Uh, can I ask what you? S- oh, sorry. Go. Ahead. I was just. I was just agreeing with you. I, I get it. I mean, it's it. And, and you know, I think the grass is greener <laughs> for me. You know, it looks that way when I talk to people who are single and only have to take care of themselves, because it, it can be stressful having a kid. But you know, there's there's downsides to everything. But I think it's a good idea to to wait. I didn't have a kid till I was you know 33, so I waited for a while. Yeah. I mean. I'm 32 now. My parents didn't have me till they were about this age. Yeah, my parents had me. I think in their in their mid to late 20s, I guess. Mm, I I'm not sure if I would ever want a kid. I think I don't want to be naive and say that my lack of interest now will stay around for the rest of my life, but no, it certainly isn't going to change soon. Uh, I don't blame you, and 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 I think that there's a lot of people. Uh, your age uh, and around there who who feel that way and I I'm, I totally get it and I totally respect it uh, 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 uh. you know honestly so much of the reason you know why I made the final decision is my wife really wanted to I was I, the whole idea of having a kid was terrifying to me and I didn't think that I was truly up for it but uh, I was so desperate to, to keep her in my life I said okay and uh, I, I don't regret it it's 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 been pretty great but especially times like these it's it is wildly stressful and it, and it's so much of that stress has to do with money it's a money it's money for sure I apparently that's a very millennial value to um, have less of an interest in kids yeah 
Yeah, and I again, I, it, it makes sense. It kind of makes sense for the generation, obviously. Um, you, we, and I guess we're getting closer to you know the end of existence as we know it. So <laughs> right. it's, yeah, I hope not. But. The prospect of raising a child in this world is is becoming uh, darker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that was one of the things that I, I I thought about before I had a kid and 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 had all those philosophical philosophical rather arguments with myself about about you know uh, is it is it fair to bring somebody involuntarily into this world sort of thing <laughs> yeah I, I still think about that sometimes maybe I'm the selfish one I mean. You could say the same, you know, just having a daughter. Is it, is it cruel to uh, ask a woman to exist in this world that still isn't completely kind to them? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, at the, the, the other thing that, that I thought about that, like, in the pro section of having a kid was, you know, a lot of... My kid's a good kid, and he's smart, and uh, he's funny, and he's empathetic, and, you know... Dedicated, but he, but there's so many people who are having kids that aren't like that. <laughs> so sometimes I think that people who are intelligent and intelligent enough to uh, uh, very seriously consider whether or not that is a cruelty to a, to a, a, a child to just bring them into this world. I think a lot of those people should be having kids only because the world needs. The, the kind of goodness that I think people who feel that way, uh, you know, would raise their kids, if that makes any sense. It does. You can propagate positive values in that way in the world. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you are, are a emotionally intelligent and compassionate person and those are values that you instill in your kids, then, you know, they can ultimately make great positive change in the world. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully um, that's what I'm doing as a parent. Yeah. Anyway, what were you going to, you were going to ask something before and I, I uh, was yapping about children. <laughs> I was going to ask what you studied in college. Oh, uh, foolishly, I was a uh, acting major. Uh, I, I went to NYU and they had, it was... It was sort of like a half conservatory thing and half academic thing. So three days a week, you went to acting classes uh, through a studio. They farm their acting students out to the different studios in in New York. Uh, you know, the, like Adler and Strasberg and all that stuff. And I went to one called Circle in the Square. But it was three days a week, and then two days a week I had academics. Uh, you know, just basic liberal arts academics. Um, it, it doesn't do you any good to get an acting degree, but it was great to live in New York for, for four and a half years. So uh, where were you from before New York? Uh, I grew up in... Massachusetts? Yeah, right? yeah. I grew up in a little town called Sherborne in, uh, in Massachusetts, or Sherbin, as they say, in Massachusetts. Do you uh, ever visit? Um... I do. I mean, my folks uh, have been living in uh, New Hampshire, so I've gone back to New Hampshire more often. But, you know, to get to New Hampshire, you generally fly into Boston anyway. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I have been back. I mean, it's uh, New England's a real pretty place, uh, uh, but you know, I don't miss living there. I don't think. Is our New England in Maine? Uh, well, New England is Maine is part of it, so it's it's Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, uh, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. Am I missing something? No, I think that's it. Uh, is that I mean, I have to believe whatever you tell me anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the same uh, frame of reference as the standard American. Right. Where? What part of you're in Newcastle? In, yes. in South New Wales, what New South Wales? New South Wales. Where is that in Australia? So I'm on the east coast of Australia. My city is about two hours north of Sydney, which is one of, if not the most well-known Australian city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's the capital of New South Wales, the state that I live in. So the city I live in is it's one of the biggest cities in the country. And it's bigger than some of the capital cities in some of our, I think, seven states and territories. Um, but that's because we don't have many huge cities. Okay. And is that, did you grow up there or did you grow up in a different part of the country? I always grew up somewhere close to the city, but uh, it was only as an adult that I moved into the city myself. I was often, you know, 45 minutes or so away. Um, moving into the city, if that's something that interests you. You know, getting close and three quarters an hour away, it really shifts the paradigm of your entire life. <laughs> it's it's great. You, 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 Not so great in in the age of Uber Eats, I will say. That's been a toxic proximity. <laughs> you you've been ordering in a lot with the. Have you been uh, quarantined and all that stuff? I, I know uh, I know there's stuff going in on in Australia because we had Tom Hanks get sick early on there. Yeah, God, that was so long ago. Even. I know. It feels like forever. It's just surreal. Yeah, I know. So it's it's kind of funny, actually. The Obviously, we don't have the population density of America over here. Um, our countries are the same size, but in our country, there's about the same amount of people as there are in California. So... It's not as, you know, friendly an environment to the virus. What's happening in my city is everything will be okay. We'll all, you know, we have these vague ongoing restrictions, Mm -hmm. but um, you can still go to the pub. You know, these places can have up to 100 people and most of the time nobody's, nobody's getting anything. Then suddenly someone will come from Sydney and they'll go on a pub crawl and about 10,000 people will suddenly have to get tested. And then suddenly we're all in, you know, locked in our houses again. It just feels like this weird roundabout. It, I kind of, I don't mind in some way because, you know, the monotony of just doing the same thing over and over again, like it will drive you insane. Whereas just being able to get out of the house a bit and then it changing up a bit, I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly not happy for anyone who gets this virus. Yo, me either. I mean, yeah, it's been here. It's been similar in these like soft reopen. I mean, me, me personally, because I'm an actor who works, you know, in Hollywood, my industry has basically been shut down this entire time. So I haven't, I haven't really gone out to any bars or restaurants even, you know, on the because now they can serve outside, not bars, but restaurants, I guess, or whatever. But I drive by and I see the people 
some of them, you know, sitting in masks, uh, you know, in between eating. So I, it just, it looks like a, a lot of work to me. And because I don't have really any income right now, it doesn't make sense to go out to eat anyway. <laughs> so yeah. I, I've sort of like me getting out is going on a bike ride in areas where there are no, not very many people. Yeah, I have a walk that I do every day. Um, it's about, I guess in miles, it's about three miles. And it's the only thing keeping me from absolutely losing my mind. You know, and if it rains for a couple of days, suddenly you'll realize that you haven't left the house for, you know, days and it, it does something bad to your soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cabin fever. It's cabin fever. Yeah, it is cabin fever, and and for it to go on as long as it has, when and it's been super weird here because you know the weather's nice and you can't. It, it it's been hot for the last week, but before that it was really nice. It was a nice summer, but you can't really go anywhere or do anything. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, and we took a couple of just my family took trips to places where there weren't any any other people just to take a trip somewhere to drive for a few hours and just stay somewhere else for a few nights to keep us from going nuts over the summer yes i actually listen to uh the la podcast and so i i hear more than the average person i guess about what's going on with the quarantining there what the politicians are saying and um there's this tug of war that i think is happening everywhere in the western world with this virus the tug of war between, you know, the bottom line, between profits and between, you know, trying to starve this virus. I think sometimes, you know, it's depressing seeing politicians, you know, err in the favor of profit because, um, I don't know, it's definitely a declaration of their values. Yes, it it is. And it's a weird uh, push-pull thing. You know, I have not really been particularly happy with any of uh, the governments where I am, uh, federal, state, county, local. It's all been disappointing, that back and forth between reopening. You know, it, it, you're right. It's entirely this push-pull of cash, and, it, it, and people get forced back to work. What choice do they have? They can't pay rent because there's no... You know, they're not suspending rent. They're not suspending mortgages. Uh, and uh, so everybody sort of has to figure out how to make money um, at some point when things, when they're allowed even for a week to try and make money. Everybody goes out and makes money and then they get sick and then the whole cycle starts again. I, it, and it's all because they don't want to, they don't want to simply give money to individuals. I mean, there was a bill in our House of Representatives to uh, 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 give COVID relief to individuals rather than the Catholic Church and corporations <laughs> uh, of, two. I think it was $2,000 a month per adult uh, for the duration of the pandemic and three months afterward. Uh, which uh, would go a long way to keep people in their houses uh, and keep people from going out and spreading, you know, the the disease around. Uh, but that you know, the the conservatives will never never let that go. Never let it happen. Absolutely, because to them, corporations are people. Right. And in fact, they are their favorite people. <laughs> right. You're right. Um. 
I, uh, I get unemployment payments. As I mentioned, I'm a comedian. And um, for the last few months, they've been doubled over here. And uh, that's been enough to placate me and, you know, keep me in the house. But certainly it has allowed me to indulge in more Uber Eats than I would have otherwise to <laughs> personal, uh, yeah. ongoing personal detriment. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I've put on uh, like a COVID-15 for sure. I just... My my uh, son is going is back in in school his first year of high school it's all distance learning he's not physically there it's all on his computer and my wife is a school teacher uh, and she's distance learning as well so she's all she she goes to her physical school but there's nobody there she's just alone in her class doing the virtual thing um, and uh, uh, I don't I can't remember where I was going with that but it's uh, when I take these bike rides, okay, I've started to feel... I don't know if you know this novel that I read when I was in high school, but this novel, I Am the Cheese. No, I don't. Well, it's this novel about this kid, and ostensibly it's a kid on a, on a, on a, on a, on a bike adventure, and he's meeting all these people, and he's seeing all these people on this long bike adventure, and then at the end of it, you realize, uh, spoiler alert, anyone, I, I hope it's okay I spoil this for you, Michael. I don't know if you're thinking about reading I Am the Cheese. Uh, I, it's just on my bedside table right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was, I'm about to I got it as a birthday gift. I was very excited to, to leave through it. But go ahead, just bring that all crashing down have, around me. I have to ruin it because, because uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll lose the, the point. But uh, at the end of the book, it fi- you find out that he's just he's in a mental institution and he's just riding his bike in circles around campus. And meeting the same people over and over again and inventing these stories around them, um, I feel that's a that's a novel about self care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, uh, but it, you know, it's also sort of depressing when you realize it's all kind of not real. But that's how that's where I feel like my various governments have have pushed me into is now I just ride around once a day on my bike in in my town, and then I I just come back to my uh, my padded cell <laughs> bang against the walls yeah I, I time my walk every day so that I do it during sunset so I get to see you know three different beautiful skies before I come home and that's the you know the inside of my bedroom doesn't change day by day maybe some rubbish accumulates and then I throw it out but outside that sky is always a different kind of beautiful so you know to have something change frequently like that it has a lot of value for me i i crave novelty yes and i can see how a bike ride would give you the same thing as well as the endorphins you get from exercising yeah exactly and and to your point the the other thing to your point about the sky i mean the the amount of time right now i'm not because it's you know it's more than 100 degrees here it's just too hot to hang outside uh, but i have been hanging out and spending so much time just in my backyard sitting on a chair you know, and either reading or and then looking at the birds, hummingbirds and bees and butterflies. I'd never would have, I never would have cared that much about these things before. They would have just been nice. Oh, isn't that nice? Uh, but now I'm like, oh, look at that! It's great. The world is for me, alive. It's the, yeah, for me, it's the cats. Oh, are you a cat person? Absolutely, I'm a huge cat fan. 
And I, um, every time I see one, you know, that's another five minutes of my day that I've got something to do, see how well I can get along with this cat. When you say, when you see a cat, do you have cats? Uh, I live with two cats. My housemate has two ragdolls. But uh, these cats I see on my walk, they'll just be house cats out the front of people's houses. So you'll just see if they're, yeah. if they're friendly and they'll chill and, and hang out. Yeah, I know some tricks. Basically, I, I go up and I get a read on if they want to interact with me. And if they don't, I'll give them a wave and go about my business. And if they're keen, you know, I'll hang out with them for a bit. Oh, that's cool. And do you, how do you get, how do you like, do they smell your hand? Because that's what my cats always do. Yeah, so the trick that I learned, and I can't, I can't uh, give credit to the source because I don't remember it, um, you get low and you present the back of your hand and you don't look directly at them. And they'll often come up and give your hand a sniff. And if they hang around or headbutt your hand, they want to pat. And sometimes they're just not interested and they walk away or they don't even come up close. Mm. And uh, I think you got to respect you got to respect what cats want. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, feral cats around here. We have both. I mean, we have, like, indoor, outdoor. My cats are all indoor. They don't go outdoors. There's too many coyotes around here. They're, they're not going to make it. Most of my neighbors I know have had indoor, outdoor cats. They didn't last very long. Um, but people have those, so every now and then some something with a collar will come through the yard. But a lot of the ones that come through are, are feral cats, so they're you're not you're, they're not getting near you, ever. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, that was it, and we live. Uh, our old neighborhood used to have so many feral cats that they the and then, and then there was an indoor outdoor cat across the street that they didn't get fixed. And it was a tomcat, basically, who would run around the neighborhood impregnating all the, the alley cat ladies who hadn't been fixed because they're alley cats. And then they would, because we had a lot of native plants in our yard, they would, the pregnant cats would come and dump their kittens into our bushes. So we were constantly uh, finding kittens in our bushes and, and uh, <laughs> putting them up for adoption. Is why there should be our neighborhood initiatives to, you know, desex the wild cats. Yeah. I guess they, there are a lot of the times, but it can be hard to, to track them all down. Well, yeah, and the other thing is, is there's nobody, <clears throat> like you can take a cat to an animal shelter and they'll fix it and then try to get adopted, but they won't fix it for free and give it back to you. And vets won't fix a cat for free. So if, if you do, I've known people who set out uh, animal traps to catch cats so they can bring the cats in and get them fixed. And God bless them. But they, people don't do it for free. There aren't too many places that do. I believe over here you can um, dob in local ferals and whatever our equivalent of animal control is will actually come in and, and neuter them and set them free. So that seems better. It's a better system. I think it's more imperative here because um, we have an issue with uh, house cats um, and cats in general killing local wildlife. Yeah, I remember seeing a documentary or uh, you know a TV nature show or something about uh, uh, feral house cats being a serious problem in Australia. I thought that was pretty interesting. 
Yeah, a lot of people think it's straight up not appropriate to let your cat outside. I think really it depends on the temperament of the cat. I mean, our rag dolls are not going to be able to get anywhere near a, right. <laughs> a bird. But yeah, there are other cats, you know, when you find out the numbers of how many birds they'll kill, and they'll kill endangered birds in some areas, it's pretty staggering. Oh, yeah, that's... But also, I don't want to give up, you know, my um, right to meet and pat cats on my walks. So maybe I care, I care about my own sense of novelty more than I care about uh, endangered local wildlife. <laughs> and I'll admit it. I think there's some integrity that, to that. That's, yeah, the first step to fixing a problem is acknowledging that you have it. You have a cat problem. You don't care about endangered birds. <laughs> that's all right, though. We all have... We all have the things about ourselves that we have to improve, that we need to improve, and it's so important to acknowledge those. But I like cats a lot, too, but cats are a pain in the ass. I was recording a podcast yesterday, and in the middle of it, one of my cats came in and just barfed all over the carpet right right next to me. And, and I, That's... I couldn't clean it up because I didn't want to stop the conversation. It seemed rude. So that I did most of the podcast with a pile of barf sitting next to me. <laughs> One of these cats here will, will literally take a shit to send a message. It's very, it's one notch down from the horse head in the bed, you know, just finding a single menacing turd because you took too long to feed them or something. I mean, again, you've got to respect them because it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You, can't, you can't say to the cat, you piece of shit, you clean this up. You simply have to clean it up yourself. They win every time. Right. You can't, you can't stubbornly ignore it because you're the one who suffers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't care. I wish, though, they, I would take my cats pooping to send messages a million, thousand million times more than, than pissing. Because my cats, when they get weird, they'll piss. And that smells. It's really hard to get out of the carpet. Oh, yeah, and sometimes you don't even know. Yeah, you don't know until, like, it gets, like, a little humid or hot or something triggers the stink, and you're like, oh, no, man. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it sucks. Yeah. Maybe I hate cats. Maybe we don't like them at all. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is things that you love, um, whether they be dogs, cats, fish, human beings, uh, in the end, the, the, they're worth the trouble, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, because it's you know, caring for anything is is you know it's a burden on you. But you know, cats are cute. What are you gonna do? They're cute. You scratch them, and they purr, and they're cute. Exactly. I'm prepared to let them get away with a lot on that marital line. Yeah, exactly. Although I've I've seen videos of people training their cats to use the toilet, but I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I, I think um, people use clicker training to teach their cats things. Sometimes, I um, like the, find it funny. Like in the Jurassic World with the with the, the clicker and the and the raptors. I'm not sure. I haven't seen Jurassic World. Oh no! Um, did you did you know that uh, they stubbornly tried to film the new one and had to shut down because immediately a bunch of people got COVID. No, were they, where were they, where, you mean like Jurassic World 3 they were trying to shoot? Yes, Jurassic World 3. And where were they trying to do that? I'm not sure, but I think it was the first real litmus test for if you can continue to film blockbusters in this environment, and um, 
their hubris uh, didn't pay off because a bunch of people gathered in the middle of a pandemic and spread it a bit more. That's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like I read that Keanu Reeves was going to, I don't know, Bulgaria or somewhere like that to shoot the fourth Matrix movie. I haven't heard about that one shutting down or anything like that. Yeah, I guess it really depends on the nature of it, especially when you consider that a lot of these blockbusters are, you know, most of the shots are, have a green screen, have CG backgrounds. There's probably, I don't know, ways to do it. Maybe even places you can safely go where people don't have it as much. I know that, um, you know, different countries are at very different places with this virus at the moment. Yeah, that's true. Even certainly different parts of the same country. Um, Melbourne, the capital of uh, of Victoria, another state here, currently is in full lockdown. There's a curfew. I'm pretty sure that happened over there as well. Um, I have so much freedom compared to them, and we're in the same country, but just because there's such long stretches between these cities that are just highway... You know, if people aren't traveling, it's easy for them not to spread. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, uh, it, it seems to be that way here, too, state to state is different. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, it seems like, like right now the, the same news story I keep seeing repeating is some state somewhere sent the kids back to school. They're not being distance learned. and And then... Days later, the school shut down because everybody got COVID. So I don't know why that keeps happening and why we nationally can't decide, hey, you know what, let's just do the distance learning thing. It sucks. It's a pain in the ass, but it seems necessary. Yeah, I've noticed there's, um, I, I wonder if that's, you know, I guess, I guess it is political in some sense, but uh, a school, it's it's by design a place where a large number of people, you know, get together in close proximity for hours a day, five days a week. It's um, a really high-risk place. And I, I have seen articles of schools opening up and then mere days later having a COVID outbreak. I wonder if, you know, politicians on both sides are feeling the pressure from voters who can't come to terms with the fact that you know, they have to have their kids at home the whole time or just are opposed to the idea that their kids maybe aren't going to get a normal childhood. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. We have to look at what is ultimately protecting people. Well, yeah. I don't think it should be so upsetting to people to even do something like finish school a year later. Yeah, or, yeah. give everybody just like a, 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 what do they call it when you take a year off between high school and college? Uh, uh, gap yeah, year. Give everybody an early gap year or something. But distance learning is not horrible. It's just the, the worst part about it is really the tech and the, and, and the tech infrastructure of whatever area you're in. If you have a, uh, a less than satisfactory internet provider like mine, Spectrum, um, then it, it can be very stressful because, you know, the internet drops out and the meeting drops out and, you know, my poor kid's in the middle of a class and, he you know, he freaks out. Uh, so that is uh, stressful, but, 
you know, at the same time, he feels, luckily for us, that it, it's necessary. And it's a, it's a crazy thing, you know, for him to be cool about it, too. Because he's, you know, missing the very first days of, of high school right now. And that's pretty pretty crazy. I mean, me personally, I wouldn't have minded missing the first few days of high school because I found it terrifying. Uh, <laughs> but but he didn't have that, that same insecurity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. It's it's uh, it's it's just a crazy time. I don't. I, it, it's just insane. I'm constantly uh, like I was talking about this yesterday. Uh, that I don't know if this news came to you guys out there, but there was a, a, a Smash Mouth concert. There was like a. It was like a motorcycle gathering I don't know what you call it when a bunch of people with motorcycles it's a festival I guess that happens every year um, and these motorcyclists said screw it we're going and they none of them wore masks and there's no social distancing and then there was a smash mouth concert and they all went to smash mouth and this uh, uh, a woman that I did a podcast with the we were gonna do it a week when that the week that that happened uh, and then she got sick so we did it the following week uh, and by that point, that Smash Mouth thing seemed like it had happened years ago. I love the incongruity between my image of a bunch of bikies and um, a Smash Mouth concert. <laughs> it's <laughs> super weird. I can't make that work mentally, but that is uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's very. I guess no, not as many people are touring at the moment. Beggars can't be choosers. Bikers can't be choosers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if Smash Mouth needs the money, then then they can. Uh, yeah, then they'll they'll go for it. God bless Smash Mouth. I don't know. It just seems crazy to put your life on the line for Smash Mouth. Yeah. Hey, Smash Mouth, do it. Yeah, I, 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 I keep going. I keep going back to the word surreal. That's how I feel about this entire experience. Yeah, and just even when you mentioned Tom Hanks, I mean that was what half a year ago or something. Yeah, we um, have you found that you have a d- distorted sense of time? Definitely. I mean, definitely. And the we- the way the weeks go by is especially now that. Because we had the summer break, because my wife is a school teacher, like I said, and, and uh, my kids a student, so we had the summer. So things were a little different over the summer because they didn't have work to do. But now that they're they're back at work, the weeks just have the strangest way of like hours will be long, but days will be short, you know, or or weeks will be really short and the days will feel long it's i don't it's it surreal is a really good way to put it i think another influence in terms of the how we're processing time i think we kind of mark time by you know these memories these images we have in our head and when the images aren't changing what's the difference between an hour or five hours you know yeah if all i saw in those five hours was i was sitting at my computer or i was just in my house you know I have ADHD, so I already have a very tenuous relationship with time, and right. it's just been been utterly baffling to me. My sleep pattern has become completely reversed, and I, every time I try it, like I will sometimes sleep till like four, five, six p.m., and I will just be awake all night instead. I'm completely unanchored, and every time I try to sort out the issue. I can't because I just come back to this idea of why. Why does it matter? Right. 
Like I could try try really hard to you know make my schedule fit the rest of the world's, but why? I mean, how will that you know reflect in any way in my lifestyle? It won't. I won't see my housemate as much. That's about it. Right. My a friend of mine was saying to me the other day that he's like he's been watching so many bad movies you know from the 1950s uh he can't really stop and but every time he thinks i gotta do something and he's like no uh, why and then he watches a yeah watches a bad movie from the 50s he can't figure out why the hell he would do anything and i totally appreciate that i i'm uh you know I'm type A and, and super anxious, so uh, I, I have to do stuff. Um, I, and it's sort of a thing that I've developed being an actor over the last 20 years because, you know, before this I'd have long spells where I wasn't working. And those spells are the hardest parts of being an actor because you really start to go nuts. Um, and and, it, and it, I would just fill my day up with work that I didn't need to do that you know ultimately amounted to nothing uh or you know at least something creative there was a creative thing happening but you know all i'm saying is is I, i'm filling up my days with stuff to do in the same way that my friend is like fuck it i don't need to do anything it's just i guess it's how you respond to this sort of desert of activity you know yeah, it's strange. I <clears throat> I have an ongoing time anxiety. I certainly, even though I procrastinate so much and really struggle to get things done, even things I really want to do and know that I'll enjoy and will positively affect my life, I struggle to connect that motivation and action. Um, in you know the last several months, it, it again it hasn't felt imperative. You know, I know that a lot of people are out of work. A lot of people are working from home and realizing how much they didn't need to be in the office and um it's and then of course i think a lot of us are depressed because we're forced to live the lifestyle of depressed people <laughs> yeah, better or worse it's true it's true so the idea of getting things done at the moment is just so distant to me and yet it is feeling more and more like something i need to do to make myself feel a bit better yeah i i and the other reason that i've had to like i was saying before about putting on this covid 15 you know so much of that is just drinking too much so part of the good thing about my uh family being back at work is now i'm forced to a regular work schedule so we're not you know drinking bloody mary's at two o'clock in the afternoon um so yeah that uh, that's something that like it's very easy to sit down and have a cocktail and watch you know the taking of pelham one two three at two in the afternoon when you don't have anything else to do anyway yeah i feel like it it has a cumulative negative effect on your soul and maybe that's just me and maybe I I don't need that value, but I feel it regardless. I've been playing a lot of video games and I always, when I get bored, I, apparently this is an ADHD thing as well, I gravitate towards drug use, so I'm so glad that I have a prescription drug for my ADHD, I'm a stimulant that I can legally take every day. Right, right. <laughs> so right. don't do anything more stupid. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I'm, for me, it's, you know, booze and THC. Um, but yeah, I like, but I, I, I reached a wall too, where I was like, this is, uh, you know, I'm 
one putting on too weight too too much weight two it's just not healthy to do that all the time mentally and physically you know yeah that's that's been my experience and i feel like um i've been confronting this i this realization that probably i'm not going to change until I hit rock bottom. And so just watching myself try to get there as quickly as possible. Right. <laughs> so I can bounce back. That is, like I established earlier, I, the only real change that I affect in my life comes through self-sabotage. <laughs> I get, I'm, I, that might be true about me too, because I feel like cyclically so much of my life is like, oh, things are great. Things are exactly how I want them to be. And then they'll stop being that way. Because I, I think that's the nature of being an actor or an entertainer or artist, really, of any kind. But, you know, it, it's i got to claw my way back up now. I, f- I feel like I'm always getting into that position. And am I doing that to myself? Because really secretly in my subconscious, you know, I want to have to be the underdog who's crawling up out of the out of the mud again or is it just the way life works or is it just the way my life works i don't know i think that certainly seems like one of the biggest risks of being an actor um i do freelance work and i know that when you're freelancing when you're an actor uh maybe you have an agent who helps you out but it's a job they're jobs that rely on you putting yourself out there and when you lose a job or you don't get a job or you go for a while without a job, your confidence slips and that confidence is the main trait that helps you, you know, establish more work. So it's really easy to spiral. Yeah, that's totally you know, true. What, yeah. you, you, it's so hard to take, you know, your negatives out of context. You project a pattern onto them and then, you know, you start to, you start to see rejection in your future and then you bring that energy to, you know, pitches or auditions or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I think it's a really, it's a career fraught with uh, mental illness. <laughs> yeah, <it> sure <laughs> Not by is. coincidence. Yeah, it sure is because you do, because the, like what happens is, you know, things are going along swimmingly and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath you and you feel like this has happened before because it has happened before. But you're right, the longer it goes on, the more you think... It's easy to intellectualize. It's not me. This is just how it works. It's the way the cookie crumbles. It's a crapshoot. The whole thing's a crapshoot. Um, but at the longer that crapshoot goes on and comes up uh, uh, as a loser the more you do start to lose confidence. It's almost unavoidable. So I always, you know, I go through these cycles of that and I usually find a place when there's a long dry spell at a certain point where I'm like, okay, fuck it. I may never work again. That's fine. I'm just going to do what I do uh, regardless, you know? And then, and I find when I get into that place and I'm, I'm creating stuff, whatever it is, doing stuff that I get into... Uh, then all of a sudden people are calling and it, it, it's, I don't, I'm not a magical thinking person, but it just seems like it happens that way. And it, it's almost like, yeah, I think especially when you're coming into a room and you're talking to people, that certain energy is infectious, uh, and the, and they, and they want to hire you cause they want to be around that energy. I, I, I think that is, there is something to that. I totally agree. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a spiritual thing at all, but I think that when you, you know, take some initiative in your life, 
in my case, every time I've followed opportunities, more opportunities have followed. And you think these people who are wanting to work with me don't know what I've just done. But I think it's because we communicate so much subconsciously with our body language, with the way we talk. We, when we're happy with how we're going, you know, other people pick up on that and they see you as someone with an upwards trajectory. Right. That's true. And when you do get bogged down in the depression and the anxiety that are, unfortunately, they just come along with the, the biz, um, it, it's, it's hard to find that again. And it's hard to find that feeling, that positivity, that, that, that just general peacefulness of things are as they're supposed to be. I am as I'm supposed to be, regardless of whether or not you pay me. Or not? It's it, it's hard to it's hard to find that when things aren't going well. Yeah, I'm someone with a few creative interests, and I think that it's been communicated to me repeatedly by the outside world that there isn't money in the arts. So I think that's been kind of liberating. I've pre-given up financially on any of those dreams. I think if I want to do these things, I just have to do them. And not necessarily expect to get rich or even to be financially comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and th- you know, that, that was another reason, too, that I, I didn't want to have a kid because I, don't, I, I, never, I have never felt financially uh, stable. I mean, I've done, I, I've done well, I think, for somebody in Hollywood who's an actor. Uh, but, um, and, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm thankful for that and glad for that and all that gratitude stuff. But uh, it, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's it, it can it can be a really frustrating uh, existence, and it's hard to keep those positive perspectives alive sometimes. Yeah. So I, I guess on that note, you are. Uh recently released a is it a a novella the headache man yeah i mean it's a it's technically a novel uh word count wise but it's a very short novel so i'm calling it a novel all those words the the beauty of self-publishing is i don't have to worry about all those technicalities uh but it is it's a short novel uh and it's about a, a a guy who uh has chronic pain uh specifically a chronic headache uh, that only goes away uh, when he kills people. Is do you uh, experience chronic pain in your life? I am a chronic head pain sufferer. In fact, they don't call it chronic. In my case, they call it. It's called <laughs> my condition. I guess is called new persistent daily headache, uh, which I've come to learn over the years because this started when I was thirty-three. Uh, uh, right before I had my kid, um, I, I, I've come to realize it's a, that's sort of a medical wastebasket term for something that they don't know or understand because there's been, you know, there, there's so little research that goes into migraines. Um, it, so something like this, there's very little known about it. But there are consistencies. Um, the symptom of it, it basically feels like. It's not like a migraine, you know, like a migraine. I don't know. Do you get migraines? I'm lucky enough to have never had a migraine. Oh, that's good. I mean, it, it, there's a, a... Like a headache. There's a... Do you, do you get a headache? Where, when you get a headache, what happens? When I get a headache, um, I would say I feel 
um, tight throbbing pain in the top half of my head. Okay. That is sore. And uh, behind my eyes a little. Yeah. So there's, uh, I mean, I describe migraines, which which my uh, persistent condition can tip, tip into, uh, depending on the stressors, uh, environmental and personal and all those things. And to me, that's more like a, a spike driven through your temple type of deal. Like a, like a, it's like a stabbing pain. Whereas my general state sounds more like what a headache is for you. Uh, it's, it feels like my head is always in a vice. It's like being squeezed uh, all the time. And, that, and, and, and it fluctuates in intensity. That's, that's the best way I can describe it. Uh, but when it's... So at a rest... At a resting state, you're on you're in some level of pain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's frustrating too because that's another reason that I find a lot of stuff to do to distract myself because then it distracts me from the pain. But it's very frustrating, you know, at the end of a work day to sit down and relax on the couch and then all you feel is this squeezing, throbbing pressure uh, on your head. It's it it makes it hard to relax. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. I'm really sorry to hear about that. Well, and that was, you know, sort of my friend, uh, Steve Falk, actually, uh, who's the uh, creator of the show I was on for a number of years called You're the Worst. Uh, I told him I had this idea. Um, and he's like, I think you should write that. It sounds like it might be therapeutic. And it, and it, and it, uh, it was, it was hard to write. I don't know how therapeutic it was. Um, uh, because so much of it is me revisiting the onset of this and trying to describe how it feels, which is re-traumatizing. Yeah, and it's frustrating too because I've, I've been explaining to doctor after doctor and specialist after specialist for year after year what this is, and it's not. And I I came to learn just by my own research on the internet. You know, there is. This is a thing. There are other people that have it. It all sounds like the same. And, and there's a couple things they have in common. Uh, one is that uh, everybody who has it seems to have the Epstein-Barr virus in their system. Um, but then again, you know, a huge percentage of the world has that. So it may just be nothing. And another uh, common trait is... Um, um, Head injuries, uh, traumatic head injuries. I had a concussion when I was a kid, so that that it could be fallout from that. Um, and the other thing that everybody has in common, it seems, is that everybody remembers the exact moment that they noticed it. And that's true about me. And I, I actually took that moment where I first noticed it, and I turned it into one of the chapters in the in the novel. Um, of course, the novel's fiction. It's not, you know, entirely my experience because, I, you know, I've never killed anybody. Not for that reason. No, either. no. Well, and, 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 the, and I can't talk about that. I, I just can't. My, my lawyers over there are getting very upset with me right now. I shouldn't yep. have even seeing some pit, some signals from your PR guy. <laughs> it's very, yeah. So that's you know there was. <clears throat> there was some cathartic elements to writing it for sure, but it was also very, very difficult. Um, and the, and the bit of it is too, because I'm a, I mean, and it's a bit of a, it's a B movie on paper too. I mean, because that's my, you know, I love B movies and, and, uh, and when I write fiction, that's sort of, that's where I 
go. That's what I gravitate towards is writing those things. So it has, it has those elements. I don't want to make it sound like it's a, <laughs> it's just sad for Todd book. I love B movies too. It um, reminds me a little of. Uh, a film called From Beyond. Have you seen? Oh that yeah, one? yeah, yeah. I have a copy of that on Blu-ray. Oh, sorry, not not From Beyond. Um, although that is a great movie. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's by the director of Basket Case. It's about a young man who gets an alien. Oh, parasite. brain damage. Brain damage. Yeah, I thought it might have been called that. Yeah, with Aylmer. By a Franken. Aylmer, the, Franken the guy who name. gets on the back of his neck and makes him trip, but then he has to kill people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I uh, think you have a fun, a good, like, high-concept premise. No, thank you very much. It's, uh, and, and the other thing that I did, and this is funny, too, because I don't, for the most part, care for found footage movies, um, but I decided to write this as, like, found writing, you know? Right. Th- that's, that's sort of the gimmick. And, and you know, it's actually... For me, like the found writing concept works better than the found footage because the the way I found for the reason for him to keep writing is, I think, makes sense. Like in found footage movies, so often, you know, you're like, why don't you just put down the camera we, and run? Yeah. You know, it's the core conceit relies on a huge suspension of disbelief. Right. That's why, like, I don't know if you ever saw the movies Wreck, uh, Spanish I did. movies, and then the American remake Quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw them. Both. I really like the remake because the re- the remake the American version did made this more explicit. I think Wreck sort of started it, and then Quarantine made it super explicit why the camera was on through the entire film. And so often it's been used being used as a tool uh, other than a camera. You know, they're using it for their light to find their way through the dark or they're using it as a weapon to clobber somebody you know what I mean so yes I remember that scene in particular where the camera is used to to bludgeon someone very visceral because he was the viewer uh, making uh, impact with the zombie right right, exactly and and I I thought that was cool so I basically inspired by that to try and do the the literary version of it it's kind of an uh, epistolary novel it's um is it uh, diary entries or letters or, or something? Yeah, like that? exactly. It's it's the it's a, a father writing, basically writing a confession to his son, in for, uh, for in the event of his death, sort of thing. Um, this is uh, starting to scare me a little. <laughs> so, sorry. A lot of parallels. Everybody, I have so so many of my friends are reading it, you know, and I'm really worried that the, uh, and maybe it's good that I put this out in the middle of a pandemic, so I, nobody will have to physically <laughs> see me for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. So when you get the pain, do you um, do you fantasize about some? cathartic thing you could do to relieve the pain is that how you came up with the idea um it was just like i had reached the end of uh, turning over every rock more than once you know the uh, i went from all the regular standard westernized medicine to the acupuncture acupressure herbal medicines uh, uh spiritual healers 
chiropractors, physical therapy, like I turned over every rock and I, I one day said I think the only thing I haven't tried doing is murdering somebody to see if that makes me feel better <laughs> and that was, you know, a joke but I was like, oh, but that might make a fun B-movie and then I was like, well nobody's making my B-movie so I'll, I'll write it as a novel instead Absolutely Do you have uh, more writing in your future do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm it, it's been a long time back back when I first moved to LA uh, you know I I on my own and with writing partners wrote a, ro- a lot of screenplays that never you know got much traction uh, never mind I think legally you have to do that when you first moved to LA yeah and 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 through that I got to experience certain things like one uh, script I wrote that I was actually really proud of at the time I'm sure if I went back and looked at it now I'd be horrified because it's a comedy and I'm sure there's uh, in politically incorrect jokes that <laughs> would have to be cut out of uh, a Netflix uh, you know streamer um, but uh, uh, the the um, uh, what what was I talking about before I got off on the Netflix screen? I'm losing my train of thought. I uh, used write some scripts really when you first moved out. Right. So we we wrote this script and I was it, it was comedy. I was very proud of it. I thought it was really funny. Uh, and uh, my agent, my acting agent, thought it was uh, really funny. Uh, and he gave it to the literary agent in that department. And that guy came in and like threw something at my agent because he hated it so much. Uh, and then in another instance I got uh, like got in with a writing manager he didn't sign me and my writing partner but he was interested because uh, because he read this screenplay um, and then it it got sent around town at a certain point and there and there are these boards you know like assistants read the scripts and then they rep- do a little book report online like secretly that only other you know, producers and whatnot can look at and apparently it was on the boards and it the, the first the first few people who read it really liked it and said it was funny but uh, one of them compared it to the big chill because it was about older people getting together again and trying to I guess recapture their youth but it was a total absurdist over the top oh you write you write grown ups too yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was you. They actually made that. I've got good news. Yeah. It wasn't though. It was so much better than Grown Ups too. Pro- I promise you. But uh, but because they compared it to the Big Chill, the second wave of writers, or readers rather, uh, all thought it was going to be like the Big Chill, but it wasn't. It was super silly, you know. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, so I got that experience out of it. But because nothing was happening, I stopped writing screenplays. But this, I had this idea in my head that was was cooking before the COVID thing because of the political strife in this in this country, uh, which is a total B movie, uh, you know, like action thriller thing um, that I had, and I've I've been writing that now just to, like I said, give myself something to do. Yeah, I'd love to make a horror film. Yeah, I would too. I um, I think a fantasy of mine would maybe be being given the job of making a new uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh my God! Yes, that would that would be a dream come true if they ever get that damn property out of the legal battle crap that it's in. Yeah, for a while there, they um, they were going to make a soapy out of it. Did you hear about that? Uh, yeah, I did hear about that. It was such a strange idea. The pitch was that it would be something like 
<laughs> something like Dawson's Creek, but it would take place in the in the universe of Friday the 13th. I love the idea of a soapy where, I mean, they wouldn't have done it like this, I'm sure, but I, I love the idea thematically of just a regular soapy and for just episodes at a time, there'll be nothing out of the ordinary. And then occasionally this big supernatural masked guy will just cut a few people up. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's funny you say that. I mean, and it wasn't, it was, you know, it was, this was more of a TV 14, not a TV MA thing. Uh, I don't know how mm-hmm. the ratings work in Australia. I know it's different in different countries. Uh I know the analog, so that's fine. Yeah, so so basically, you know, it's like rated R versus rated PG-13. Um, so this was more PG-13 than R. It would have been cooler if it was R, but it, it was still very entertaining because it was very soapy, like you're saying. And it was uh, it was a limit. It was a limited series. It was a mini series, I guess. It was like 12 episodes or 10 episodes for, that were an hour each. But it literally Harper's Island. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I really liked that. You're talking. You're talking to the right guy. I really liked it as well. And you know, I was prepared to to go along with it. You know what I mean? I was prepared to be gracious with it. But ultimately, I I did objectively like it. And I think I love the premise of uh, the promise of a show that is going to end after one season. No network will do that anymore. Everyone's way too terrified. To do, even a mini series will come out like Big Little Lies or The Outsider and. By the time it's even finished airing, a second season's been lined up. Yeah, that's true. The restraint of Harper's Island and just the gimmick of killing off cast members every week. It was great. It was a really um, really novel, fun series. I mean, they could have done it again, and I would have been fine with it if they... Had... Yeah, it could have been an anthology. Yeah, thing. it's just every season, kind of like Fargo is now, I guess. Yeah. Um, or American Horror Story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, although I stopped watching that that one. Oh, I think it's trash. <laughs> I liked the <laughs> that first season. That was a show season. I really had to go along yeah, with. Yeah, I liked the first season a lot, and then the second season was fun because of What's-Her-Face, um, but then I just kind of lost interest, I guess. Yeah. I um, I think even the fans you know, have fluctuating interest in it. That's the problem with these long-running properties. Yeah. What are the odds that you can bottle lightning that many times? Uh, we started watching... Uh, Dexter rewatching Dexter the Showtime show because uh, mm-hmm. my son's old enough and he likes horror stuff. Um, There's a shock joke. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, it, it's it's a good show, but it's funny to watch it now because it is still like the first season's super good and super addictive, and the characters are so much fun, and it's just fun to watch it again but then thinking about oh he's going to become a lumberjack at the end is that's a little disturbing knowing that it's going there in seven seasons from where I'm starting yeah I think even the, the entire back half I I um, didn't really gel with yeah I think after the fourth season you can let it go probably yeah, uh, Lithgow season is good, and and then let it let it let it go. It is a very dark place to leave the show, but also you are it's diminishing returns on that thing. Yeah, but you know it's a show about a serial killer, so why not leave darkly? Yeah, um, Showtime really don't know how to end a show. No, I although I did think that the end of. Spartacus, as troubled as that series uh, 
was um, was satisfying, ultimately. I should clarify. I mean, they don't know how to stop renewing shows. <laughs> Think about how long how long Homeland was on. Right, right, you know? right. That's uh, that's very true. That's very true. Well, they like money. It's it's this Hollywood tradition of uh, we like money. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. I know you've got a you you've got to wrap up your show. I feel like it, I'm taking you over your usual hour. Yeah, I'm sorry. My other guests are getting very antsy. <laughs> Yeah, you I should think, kick um, me off, like my union yeah, is just, doing with my healthcare. Kick I've, me off of it. I've got lined up a B movie guy, um, a headache specialist. They've all just been twitching, just desperate to say something. But I told them they have to wait. But uh, you're right. Maybe I can bleed them into the next episode. But uh, it, it was fantastic having you on. Thanks for having you me. Hard enough, hard enough to chase down, but uh, we did it. It was great. It was great. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, thank you. Oh.